You are listening to Facts of Faith on the Station of the Year. We are now going to be talking about grieving or mourning rituals. We started this particular series a couple of weeks ago where we are looking at various um, religious faiths and groups that, uh, you know, what, what, how do they mourn? How do they grieve? How do they observe that period in their lives? It's quite interesting what I have learned so far, and I'm hoping that you will also be able to learn a lot from this uh, segment. We are joined now by the South African Hindu Maha Sabha, um, you know, representative who is Pundit Rishi Maharaj. Thank you very much for joining us, Pundit. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me here and allowing me to share some little information that I can. Now, grieving is, you know, something different for everyone. It depends on you as an individual. But when we are grieving, there are mourning rituals or there are ways that we are told, you know, to mourn appropriately. I'd like to know, and I'm sure all our listeners are keen to know about how the Hindu community observe a mourning ritual. Perhaps take us from the the point where you hear that someone who is a loved one has passed away. Then what happens after that within the Hindu community? Okay, so, so yes, you are right. People will grieve in different ways. But generally, grief is um, a, a reaction to a loss of a loved one, somebody that you become attached to, not necessarily family, but somebody that you've associated with for a long time. And this attachment when it is broken through death, then it results in grief. So for us, bereavement is that process that we undergo when we are separated from a loved one uh, and we, upon whom we have generally depended or have for comfort, for sustenance, for sanctuary, for companionship. So it is a normal experience to have grief when somebody close to you passes on. And in the Hindu system of beliefs and rituals, Hindu funerals, though they are very solemn and dignified and sacred, they are also, if I can use the word, social events where family and relatives get together at the home of the deceased to mourn the death of a relative and to conduct all the funerary rites. So the, the ancient sages and seers and ancestors, they understood how the human mind functions. And, and they've come about with this system that of ceremonies associated with the funerals and mourning period. And we'll find that these have remained almost unchanged for centuries. When we perform all of these ceremonies and rituals with respect, with the dignity and devotion, then these final rites and ceremonies help to, um, in a way, connect to the deceased person 
and assists in uh, coping with grief. So basically, see, in a nutshell, this is what our rituals are. Um, for more detail, I'm not sure if you want me to go into a little more detail on the well, rituals. Yeah, what, before we go into the rituals <laughs> themselves, perhaps <laughs> can you explain to us, is it um, from the, the Hindu uh, holy text where it prescribes that Hindu people should cremate, or is it something that was just by choice by individuals? No, it, it is uh, in our scriptures uh, the preferred, it, it's not prescribed as an absolute, but the preferred way to dispose of the material body is through cremation. Uh, it, it, it actually assists the grieving family to detach from the physical body uh, because they know this is a final um, dissolution of the material elements that comprise the material body. So cremation is the, the preferred method as prescribed in our scriptures. Now, if it is preferred, what then happens to the ashes? Because people who cremate have different rituals after uh, cremation. Other ashes are scattered in various uh, places like the oceans or park or game reserve, uh, river, and others keep the ashes. So what happens uh, in the Hindu faith? In the, in the Hindu faith, uh, there is a, a scripture that relates specifically, uh, well, a part of the scripture that relates specifically to death and death-related rituals. And upon cremation, once cremation is completed, then the ashes are then immersed into the river or into the sea, generally into the river. And uh, it, it is actually symbolizes the final detachment with the physical body when you immerse the ashes into a flowing into flowing water. Uh, and and quite often this uh, this process is seen as returning the material elements back to the material elements. We believe that the, the body is made up of the five material elements of earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And, and so after cremation, whatever remains is the ashes that's put into the water, as if to say everything is back into its original state now. Okay. Maybe let's go through some of the rituals that are practiced uh, <laughs> once a person has passed on. Okay, so the, the moment death occurs, uh, the Hindu ritual state, our scripture state, that cremation must take place as soon as possible, almost immediately. So when death occurs in a Hindu home, arrangements for the final rites begin immediately. And, and uh, in a way, without any delay, it means that those who are grieving already, they have some ritual to engage in immediately, making all the arrangements and uh, taking care of what needs to be taken, all the preparations. And this 
is as if it is they are making their contribution to the passage of the soul. So immediately, cremation should take place. Generally, in, in the past, it used to be that cremation takes place on the same day. But of course, in, in the modern society where there are certain other legal procedures that need to be followed, sometimes this is delayed, but in most cases, it is done either on the same day or the next day. There is no delay with this. Now, is there a preparation of um, the, 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 the material body, the corpse, before the cremation that is part of the Hindu rites? Yes. Uh, the, the, actually, that's a very important question because the preparation of the body for um, disposal is actually done by family members. It is not left to professionals uh, who are not connected to the deceased. So the family prepares the body for cremation, bathe it, clothe it, etc. with a great deal of dignity. And this preparation of the body is as if the, the grieving family is facing its challenge. It's facing its grief. But it is doing so in a gentle way that will help the, the survivors to ease into overcoming this grief. So they engage with this preparation of the body. It makes the whole experience of losing a, a, a loved one very intimate and intense. So the, the feeling that they get is that I have done my bit uh, to, 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 to assist the soul on its passage. I have paid my debt. I am paying my debt to my loved one. And it, it, it helps them to come to terms and to cope with their grief. And, okay, so now the, the, the cremation has been done. Uh, let's continue with some of the other rituals that happen. And uh, please, let's not forget the the human element, because we are talking about this, you know, in a in a very clinical way, with yes. uh, forgetting that there's a family, their friends, their colleagues, their neighbors, loved ones who have lost a loved one. So during this process, what are they doing? You say that, like, for instance, washing and preparing the body is done by family members. Uh, uh, and it, it, the cremation needs to be done as soon as possible. So does that mean that the, these family members are not given enough time to grieve or is this part of the grieving process? No, it, it is part of the grieving process, but the grieving process does not end at the funeral. So you, you will hear just now uh, how after the funeral, the family is is accommodated and assisted uh, in this entire grieving process. So once the body is cremated and uh, the ashes are immersed into the flowing water, there are many rituals that take place. So just, just as a uh, to point firstly, the, the cremation dis- gets uh, disposes of the material remains, but the attachment thereafter, the relationship thereafter, is not on the material level. So, 
So the family is, is coming to terms with this change of relationship from one of a physical and material relationship to one of a spiritual relationship. So once this detachment from the physical body, as we symbolize, we mentioned was symbolized by immersing into the uh, flowing water, the ashes, thereafter, there are many rituals that are associated with the, the, the after funeral rites. And the one of which is the, what is referred to as the offering of Pindadana. Now, <clears throat> Pind means a body. And Pindadana means being charitable towards the body of the deceased. So at the cremation, we also offer what is called Pindadana, or what is, in simple terms would be rice balls are made. Cooked rice is made into balls, and that is offered symbolically to, in the name of the deceased, to assist it on its journey in the hereafter, until it eventually unites uh, or is brought into the realm of ancestors. So immediately after death, the soul does not immediately enter into the realm of ancestors. It has to ease into this, and this, these rituals assist in that process. So it helps, the offering of this pinder helps the soul to um, cut its ties and attachments with the material in human body, uh, and, and therefore the pindan helps the soul to move forward in peace. So. The symbolism is that the deceased, through smell, accepts the pind dan. So the actual pind of food is not physically eaten by the deceased, but the deceased feels the emotions with which these rice balls of pind dan is made by the survivors. And this is why <coughs> pind dan is also referred to as Shrad. So the word Shrad comes from the Sanskrit word Shraddha. And the word Shraddha means respect, love, and devotion. So when these rice balls are offered, they are offered with respect, with love, and devotion. And these emotions of respect, love, and devotion is what benefits the deceased. So the offering of Pinda brings the blessings of the ancestors in return. And it helps to come to terms with the death of a loved one. So that's the Pindan. So after this process, uh, most Hindu families will observe um, strict discipline for up to about 13 days immediately after death. So each evening, for example, immediately after death, after the funeral, each evening thereafter, a special um, discourse and recital from a scripture referred to as the Darud Puran is conducted at the home of the deceased. And family members, not only those who are living in that home, but extended family 
also joining this, if I can use the word satsang, this get together, this this uh, uh, religious gathering. The recital and the discussion of the contents of the canto that deals with death and death-related matters from the Garud Puran is it, it deals with all matters relating to death and the rituals. And it is found that it gives a great deal of, of, of support to the family. It talks about both the living and what to do while you are alive and what to do when death is approaching. In other words, as we age, we must prepare for death. So it tells you all of that, but it also gives the relatives and assists them uh, with understanding of life. So in this scripture, it traces our journey from inception through to the afterlife. The, 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 the entire contents of this Garud Quran are relevant to the living as it encourages people to follow a dharmic or a righteous lifestyle that will serve it well, that will serve the soul well when death occurs. So this is done in the 13 days and the entire family, including little children, the extended family, friends, neighbors, all join in and listen to this discussion and participate in this discussion. And it helps them to understand what has happened to what what death is. So for Hindus, death is actually not the end, but it is rather the end of one stage. And each stage has to end before the next stage can commence. So Hindus see death as bringing the end to one phase of our existence so that the soul can proceed to the next phase. What else happens is that for the next 10 days after death, mm -hmm. these rice balls are offered again in the name of the deceased and until on the 12th day, what is referred to as the Sapindi Karan, a special ceremony is conducted. Now this ceremony uh, symbolically introduces the deceased into the realm of the ancestors. And once that takes place, then the grieving family feels we have done what is required, all the rituals that are necessary to assist the soul to go into the next realm and from there face the next stage of its life. So that 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 uh, sense of having completed your duty helps also to cope with grief. So they, they gain a, um, a, a degree of objectivity and uh, distance emotionally from the deceased. But they look up to the deceased with gratitude 
and offer worship. So this is up to the 13th day, but many Hindus mm-hmm. in South Africa also do a memorial uh, ceremony at six months uh, after the, the death of, uh, date of death and also up after one year. So and there are two memorial services, six months and one year. Yes, there are actually some do it more often. And in besides this, annually, on the date of date of death, many Hindu families engage in some kind of prayer to remember the deceased. And in the name of the deceased, they offer charity. This charity is not only limited to the annual ceremony. On the 12th day, on the 10th day, and every day thereafter, uh, until all the ceremonies are over for one year, the family of the deceased feed the poor, uh, uh, make contributions and donations to indigent and to the orphanages, all in the name of the deceased. So they feed people and assist people in memory of the deceased. And this is considered to be meritorious. So not only does it benefit the deceased soul, that in his honor or her honor, some good work is being done, but it also helps the grieving family to say, oh, I have been able to do this for my deceased relative. And it makes them feel that they have achieved, they've done something. So this, it is, the, the charity is an important part of this grieving. Obviously, nobody is going to prescribe how much charity needs to be done. It is done in accordance with the ability of the family. So therefore, many families do this annually. Every year on the anniversary of the death of a loved one, they engage in some charitable work or they they make some contributions to some organization that is engaged in charity. So all of these help to come to terms with the grief. But the family, is, even on these annual ceremony dates, the entire family gets together and does this. So this supporting each other in the grief is part of this entire process. And in terms of, you know, the dress code that is um, prescribed, if there's any, maybe colors or certain clothes to wear for men and women. Um, is there something that uh, is done uh, in that nature for from in the Hindu community? Well, there, there, are, um, there is a dress code, and generally the dress code is of an Eastern nature, the Hindu dress code, so uh, traditional clothing is worn. But you will find that in, in uh, modern society, especially in places like South Africa, away from India, many families do not adhere to this strictly. But you will, you, the colors that we spoke about, yes, certain colors are not prescribed, but are found to assist the healing process. So uh, calming colors are white and pale colors, light colors, not bright and gaudy colors, 
not dark colors. So, it, 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 uh, in fact, um, there is a, a science called chroma therapy, where colors are used to treat illnesses. And uh, you, you, I read this some years ago in a newspaper, where the expert was talking about the fact that certain colors agitate the mind and certain colors calm the mind. So, in the case of death, we need to assist in calming the mind and therefore the colors are generally the, the lighter colors. So white is generally the color that is required. Uh, and, and, and then red code again is, is, is supposed to be traditional Hindu dress code. So you will find women wearing saris or uh, Punjabi outfits and men wearing kurta sets or dhotis. So, so this is the dress code. But again, not all families observe this. As we are becoming more and more immersed in the modern society, people are not holding on to these beliefs and these practices. <clears throat> so this is basically the, the prescription there. And in terms of food, are there certain foods that you would abstain from or eat more? I know you mentioned the rice balls, but in general, because I know that the Hindu uh, faith is very big on fasts and certain meats that are not eaten. During the time of grieving, is food also um, you know, advised what to eat and what not to eat? Mm, yes. Well, firstly... In, in, according to the Srimad Bhagavad Gita, a very important scripture in Hindu society, food that we eat affects our moods, our minds, which eventually affects our behavior. So foods are categorized as sattvic or rajasic and tamasic. So sattvic food is food that is nourishing, that is calming, that does not cause harm to the body. And these are the foods that we should be eating all the time. But especially when we are mentally upset, when there is grief, when there is illness. So the foods that we avoid are all meat products. So it's supposed to be a purely vegetarian diet with very little spice and chilies and things that, are, that, that heat the body up and also... Uh, agitate the mind, uh, all of these foods are avoided, spicy foods, things that have a lot of garlic and onion are avoided. For the first 10 days actually, most families will eat only what I would refer to as food that is just boiled, simple stews, um, boiled potatoes and that kind of thing, fruit, milk uh, and and. After the 12th day ceremony, then they return to the normal diet uh, where food has spices and things of that kind. But again, it should still be vegetarian food. Hmm. And uh, I totally, um, you know, am in awe of the fact that the foods that we eat impact our emotions and our mental state. Um, and in the Hindu faith, you are very cognizant of that and make sure that, uh, you know, when one is mourning, they're supported in every way possible. 
with with, uh, with um, you know dress codes and so on, you told us that the food, the, the clothing, is usually pale colors, and you also mentioned that you know the colors are there to to calm us because colors mm. do play a significant role. At the cremation, though, we never spoke about this. When you need to go and cremate someone, are both women and men and children permitted at a crematorium, or is it just men that go? Well, in 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 the generally the practice is the practice is that many women do not go to the crematorium. That has become the practice. It has become a, if I can use the word, a tradition. But that is not prescribed in our scriptures, because in the in the scripture that I spoke about, the Garuk Puran, one of the uh, procedures they mention is that after the cremation, the women of the family and the men of the family must go back home, talking about the good qualities of the person who passed on with the women leading the way. So that tells us that our scripture says women needed to be at the cremation ground. So there is nothing wrong with women being there. It's just that certain people may be more sensitive to seeing the burning of the cops, and it is not restricted to women, even men, but mainly children. So generally, very little children are protected until they are strong enough to view a cremation. Uh, and if anybody has, uh, uh, you know, qualms and, and, and they, are, they, are, they are not strong enough, then whether they are women or children or men, they will not go to the crematorium. But there is no restriction in our scriptures on that. Well, uh, that's uh, where we can leave it. Thank you very much, Pundit, uh, for joining us and uh, helping us understand those morning rituals from the Hindu faith. Have a good evening further. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me, and a good evening to you as well and to all the listeners. Thank you. It's been a pleasure enjoying this uh, afternoon into evening with you. It's 9 o'clock on the dot. May goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success. Independent and